What's better than one, John? Here's Johnny. Hmm. Nobody really knows. That's why we put two of them together. This is Kenzano and Wilner, a.k.a. John and John. Welcome to a new episode, another episode of the Kanzano and Wilner podcast. I'm John Kanzano. You can read me exclusively now at johnkanzano.com. Wilner, the Bay Area News Group's John Wilner with us. Tell them where to find you, Wilner. Pac12hotline.com, courtesy of the mothership at the uh, Bay Area News Group. We are syndicated uh, media outlets across the conference. And uh, can't wait to get started here. We got a lot to talk about. It seems like there is something new every day. And it doesn't, none of it involves football. Yeah, I, I am eager to talk football. And we'll do a little bit of that on this episode. And we may get into this, uh, into the weeds more here as the season approaches. But we'll talk quarterbacks on this episode. But we got to start with the news of the day. And uh, something everyone wants to hear about is, you know, the University of Oregon. There's a report out there. Brett McMurphy, a well-respected reporter, is reporting that um, Oregon has initiated some conversations with the Big Ten Conference. Now, he clarified Michael Schill, the Oregon outgoing president, Rob Mullins, the AD, um, not part of those discussions. Neither is Kevin Warren, the Big Ten commissioner. Wilner, what did you make of it when you first saw it? Because I saw it and I kind of I had some immediate thoughts, but I want you to go first. I mean, my immediate thought is, of course, Oregon representatives are talking to Big Ten representatives. Uh, they have been probably since. June 30th. And same with Washington representatives and Stanford representatives. I mean, that's what this is all about is, you know, behind the scenes outreach. And, you know, long before anything gets to the the high levels of power with the commissioners and the presidents, uh, of course, Oregon's talking to them. That was my reaction. Yeah, I had the same thing. I was told like the day after USC and UCLA announced their departure. I was told by someone in Phil Knight's inner circle, close circle, I'm going to read the quote. He says, quote, the good news is Phil is working hard to determine the correct path forward and hopefully to determine one that is viable. My guess is his aspirations aren't practical or achievable, but try to tell that to the man who has won most battles in his life that seemed out of reach, end quote. I had the same take. Like, I, I would have been surprised had Nike officials. Let's let's clarify it. This this is going to be Nike driven. This is going to be Phil Knight. It's going to be Tinker Hatfield. It's going to have Nike influence. That is essentially, if you want to call, you know, in the in the world of consulting, uh, Nike would be acting on behalf of Oregon in this case. And I I would be, I would have been surprised if they'd not had conversations just like you. I also think that we're kind of in the moment of truth with the Pac-12 and ESPN. Like they are creeping toward an agreement and they are in productive discussions. And, you know, I'm told that, you know, they don't have final offer numbers and stuff like that, but that everybody's kind of at the table waiting to see what ESPN is going to bring. And I think if you are Nike and you're Phil Knight and you're going, hey, let's cross every T and dot every I, you would be having those conversations right now with the Big Ten to have a contingency plan if the deal from ESPN isn't palatable or that you would want to do your diligence on that front in, in before you signed a grant of rights deal or at least have conversations with the Big Ten about, hey, look, you know, if we're going to enter into this deal with ESPN as a conference, what should we be thinking about? Because, you know, the Big Ten wisely only signed a seven year deal with Fox and their media partners. And so I think we're going to head towards another round of this 
you know, in about five or six years anyway. And so I think Oregon should be having those discussions just because they're discussions they should naturally be having. Which is the most, I look at it like this, which is the most influential school in the Big Ten? It's Ohio State, right? Nike has got a $250 million de- apparel deal with Ohio State, right? Bill Knight knows Ohio State AD Gene Smith. Of course, Nike has, you know, if not talked directly to Gene Smith in the last six, seven weeks, th- there's plenty of chatter going on. I-, I think that everybody needs to calm down and just see how this plays out. And it could take a couple of months to play out. And what plays out in a couple of months could be different or change in two or three years. There, to me, there's no indication that the Big Ten is going to add any more schools this year, right? So that means Oregon, Washington, and Stanford, and maybe Cal, they've got to basically assess their best offer from the Pac-12 because they don't have that, that move available at this point. So let's see what the Pac-12 can come up with. And then everybody will start making their decisions at that point. Yeah. And I I think, look, I've talked to a number of ADs across the conference who believe that this, the Pac-12 or the Pac-10 or whatever the hell we're going to call this thing, um, you know, very much wants to stay together. But I think everybody's got to explore alternate options. And I'm not talking about serious conversations. You know, I had one AD that was with one of the Four Corners universities tell me, you know, I don't know where this stuff is coming from, like all this Big 12 stuff. But I would gather that boosters and maybe high level administrators at all those universities, if they're going to be doing their jobs right, uh, are engaging in, you know, second and third option scenarios. And so I would caution fans who are listening to this podcast, like, look, know that the landscape is shifting and everybody's a little anxious. Like, hell, man, the traditionalist or the purist in me really just wants the Big 12 to stay the Big 12 and the ACC to stay the ACC and let's get geography and tradition back. But if we're not going to have that, it feels like this next cycle is a little bit of a free-for-all. And Oregon is the one program in the Pac-12 that operates differently than others. And so I my hope is that everybody stays together. I don't want to see Oregon traveling into the Big Ten footprint to try to get games with Penn State and Rutgers and whoever. But uh, I think Oregon's got to do what's right for Oregon in this case. And I do think exploring some of this in front of signing a new deal with a new media rights partner is probably what they need to do. Oh, you have to you have to protect yourself in case you get you got to go to Plan B or Plan C. I'm sure every every school's doing that, right? Schools are doing that. That's the thing. Everybody makes the Big 12 out to be this model of stability. It's not a model of stability until it signs its next greater rights agreement with all the schools, right? Everybody that's not in the SEC or Big 10 is, you know, looking out for for themselves with a plan B and a plan C, even the ACC, right? I mean, that's, they're in in the same position. I keep getting back to the Pac-12, the Big 12, and the SEC have much more in common with each other right now than any of them does with the Big Ten and the SEC, right? They're like fraternal twin, fraternal triplets. And the, the Big Ten and the SEC are, are totally different families. They're different species at this point. So let, we'll just see how it plays out. And it could, it could be a couple of months before, before we get any kind of resolution. Yeah, I was crazy to me. What's crazy to me is we get this today, this report today. Last week was... Big 10 news. I think it was either it was Tuesday 
And then Wednesday is the UCLA Regents meeting. I mean, it's just nonstop. Every day there is something big going on and none of it involves what's happening on the field. I think that's bad for the sport in the end. Like everybody keeps talking about the health of the sport. Look at all the money that's coming in from television. Look, all of this TV money isn't all great. Like it's wonderful that the universities will be able to pay their coaches more. And, you know, some of these conferences are talking about paying athletes and the transfer portal and all the infrastructure that goes into college athletics. But I keep coming back to the NCAA's role here. They are just absent. And I think that is sad that we're not talking about sports and then we're talking about the business. And hell, I would love to be writing more about the teams and I'm making a determined effort to do that. Like, let, let's focus on a little bit of the football here because you can get sucked down that rabbit hole of anxiety and angst and hand wringing. And look, I looked at the Big 12 bylaws today. I was, you know, thumbing through the bylaws like I'm an attorney re trying to decipher it. And, you know, I come away going, you know what? They only need a 75 percent vote to dissolve the conference. Texas and Oklahoma are already going to vote. Yes, let us out of here because they don't want to pay a penalty. You only need six more votes and the Big 12 is toast. Like, I don't want that to happen. That's not what I would root for. But, you know, you talk about stability. Uh, you know, I, I wouldn't put the Big 12 stability right there out there right now as an example of, you know, this is what an ironclad conference looks like. You know, they are they are in a precarious position themselves. And sadly, the, like the best case would be the ACC, the Big 12 and the Pac-12 banding together to not allow the SEC and the Big Ten to run away with this thing. You know, it's also bad for the health of the reporters. I woke up the other night in the middle of the night screaming, Boise State, Boise State. <laughs> but it has been one heck, of a, one heck of a seven weeks. And, you know, I, I feel a little bit guilty sometimes because it's like this was a season going to start in, what is it, 10 days? Arizona State's on the field. And yet this, all this other stuff is, is so gigantic, uh, an existential crisis really for the conference that you can't, you can't avoid it. Now, does Oregon leave for the Big Ten? That's the question fans are going to want to know, because if Oregon leaves for the Big Ten, it, it splinters the Pac-12. It, it causes problems. It, my, my answer to that question is not in this cycle. I don't see it happening in this cycle. It doesn't make sense for the Big Ten. It doesn't make sense for the media partners. Um, the only way it would make sense is if Phil Knight came in and said, look, um, you know, just pay Oregon $30 million a year in media rights revenue and I'll make up the rest myself out of my pocket. Like that's the only way financially that it pencils out. And so I think Phil Knight is a interesting character in this. But I also think Phil Knight, if he's interested in legacy, has the ability here, Wilner, to pull the Pac-12 together. What would that mean to see a guy who grew up in the footprint, who got his education at Oregon and then at Stanford, uh, help pull that conference back together? Yeah, I'm trying to figure out how that would happen, right? I just, I agree with you. I don't think Oregon is, is leaving for the Big Ten this cycle. To me, the question is, when is the next cycle? Is the next cycle in two or three years or is it not for five or six years right before the Big Ten's current contract expires? That's, that's the big question. Uh, and that's a big problem for the Pac-12 in terms of coming up with a, a contractual agreement that's going to satisfy everybody. But like, what do you think, what does that look like? Phil Knight, you know, saving the conference. Yeah, I think, you know, part of people have wondered what is he going to do to continue to support the University of Oregon? Uh, you know, beyond his passing, what is it, what, it, what steps has he taken? And, you know, I'm told by fundraisers uh, who focus on this stuff at Oregon that 
there are plans in place to make sure that Oregon is well-funded and Phil Knight's legacy continues to support the Ducks. I just wonder if, you know, we were talking not so long ago about Larry Scott in a private equity firm investment. And the problem with a private equity firm is that they're going to want returns on that investment. The bonus with a philanthropist like Phil Knight would be that Phil Knight could create a fund that would help subsidize and make up for the shortfall in media rights revenue with the conference members that he wouldn't necessarily be looking for a return on investment from. So, you know, I, you know, I, I'm not going to speak, I'm not going to spend a billionaire's money, but, you know, there's an opportunity here for an endowment like donation from Phil Knight that could help as an equity partner with the conference make up that 30 or $40 million shortfall with revenue. Would it be enough to give UCLA pause? Would it be enough to get USC's attention and get them thinking about the travel? I don't know. But I was told early by one of the ADs in the conference that even Phil Knight supporting the Pac-12 staying together in theory, like if he just went public and said, this conference needs to stay together, I am a legacy guy, I'm, you know, I got my start in this conference, and I want Oregon and Stanford, my two alma maters, to be part of a successful conference that that might go a long way towards uh, giving some stability, at least in the short term, to the conference. Yeah, that's a, I mean, it's a hell of a thought. And certainly can't dismiss the fact that he went to Stanford Graduate School. I believe he is the second biggest donor to Stanford University. And someone told me that he, he wrote, I don't know this for sure, that he wrote Shoe Dog when he was at Stanford. Wow. So, uh, he, he has got, there's, there's 10 teams left and he has significant ties to 20% of them. So that certainly is something to, uh, to keep in mind. He is John Canzano, johncanzano.com, bald-based truth himself. I'm John Wilmer, the Pac-12 hotline under our mothership Bay Area News Group. What do we think about UCLA these days? Yeah, you were in on that Regents reporting. I got to be honest. I wasn't as interested in writing about the Regents and that whole mess because, uh, frankly, some of it was, you know, I was turned off by the fact that some of it felt like noise, but also it's so far away from the stuff I really want to write about. I want to write about the people playing the games and the coaches and the players and the fans. And all of a sudden, you know, here's this, this important conversation happening. I thought you did a hell of a job with it, but to your point, like you were waking up in the middle of the night going Boise state. I'm, I was on vacation from radio last week. Like I got a week off of not doing the afternoon drive radio show that I do in, in the state of Oregon. And it was kind of nice. Uh, on the flip side, uh, I'm sitting poolside. We're in Sun River. We're in Central Oregon near Bend. The, oh, nice. the kids are in the pool. You know, we got, I have three daughters and the youngest two are six and eight. So they're just like in the pool with their goggles on the whole time. And, you know, the, uh, you know, the responsible dad in me is like, hey, get in the pool and spend some time with your kids because you have been so immersed in this Pac-12 stuff. So I did that. But I get back and I'm looking at my phone going, well, what did I miss? Well, what did I miss? Like, what happened? Did, you know, bre any breaking news? Like, you know, is the conference together? Do they add members? Like it, it, it literally invaded my vacation a little bit to the point where like, I was like the UC Regents thing, Wilner's got to handle it. So what did you make of all that? Well, I'm glad you got a little bit of time away. That's for sure. Um, what did I make of it? You know, a lot of that meeting was deep, deep in the weeds, uh, the bureaucratic weeds of the University of California Board of Regents procedures. But the bottom line is they established that the regents have the authority 
to revoke UCLA's move to the Big Ten. I don't think that's likely, but it is clear that the chance is non-zero. And so you can't dismiss it until the Bruins, you know, uh, until we get through the next few months and, and the regions decide they're not going to stop it, right? I mean, I think there would probably be some, some serious legal and potentially financial penalties depending on exactly what UCLA has signed. But you can't, if you're the Pac-12 especially, you cannot dismiss the fact that it is possible that UCLA is going to have to reverse course. So it adds another dynamic to this whole thing. And it's, to me, it's, it's just fascinating. Yeah. And it's interesting because I keep going back to media day and George Kliavkov on media day kept saying, I'm le- we're leaving the door open, open arms for UCLA. Now he took some shots, right? He took some shots at, you know, sort of the recruiting at UCLA and whatnot. But I kind of felt like that was option A, even if it was a long shot, retain UCLA, put some pressure on the regents, put some pressure on the alumni and the fan base, have them put pressure on the university. And then let's see if the media rights dollars come in at at a place in which it gives UCLA second thoughts. Like, I felt like that was plan A. I I don't yet know if that is feasible, but it sounds to me and talking to people at UCLA, like they have moved on. And they're looking at this whole regents thing as, you know, as I said earlier, it's a bunch of noise. Um, you think it's got teeth to it. Do you think they will actually exercise that or will they try to make UCLA pay, you know, an exit fee to Cal or what are the options? I think it has teeth, but I think it has baby teeth. And it's like the first two and the bottom middle that come in. When they get the right, yeah. What? Nine, 12 months there. old. Yeah. That's what it's got at this point. We will see what happens if it is all noise. There's two, two key pieces though. One is. One of the most influential UC regents is John Perez, and he is a Cal grad. He's the former speaker of the California State Assembly. Very influential. He is the one who was grilling the general counsel about the mechanism for reversing UCLA's decision. He is very much, uh, you know, looks at things uh, with Cal's best interest. So I think that is a piece folks need to watch. And, And the other piece, frankly, is the math. If they decide that UCLA has going to subsidize Cal to a certain extent, then you start wondering, all right, what is the net profit here for the Bruins, right? Let's just say that their media rights deal in the the Big Ten is going to be 70, 75 million a year on average. Well, you know, they got to subsidize Cal 10 million, and then they got another 15 to 20 million in additional administrative expenses, uh, travel costs, which will be huge. Uh, increasing coaching salaries so that they're level set with those in the Big Ten, then all of a sudden you could see a scenario where that revenue, you know, is not uh, necessarily the no-brainer that it looks to be right now. I don't think we'll get to that point, but it's, again, it's something that people just need to kind of tuck away in the back of their head just in case, because realignment, if nothing else, realignment is an exercise in the unpredictable. I agree with that. And I think that I, I do think that the sentiment among fan bases, like I know the Big 12 fans are all angry at you. They're angry at me. Pac-12 fans are nervous. There, there's some infighting going on within the footprint. But I think by and large, like the the net effect here is that we have gotten away from talking about the stuff that matters, the games, the players, the season. I mean, this is an exciting season. I, I talked to Mario Cristobal yesterday. Like, you know, I, I was doing this story on... Noah Sewell, one of his former players at Oregon, and texted Tremendous him. a story. Yeah, texted him, and then Cristobal, all of a sudden, he FaceTimes me. You ever have that experience? 
The only two coaches that have ever done that to me are Mike Leach and Mario Cristobal now, <laughs> where you, you text him something and all of a sudden you're getting a FaceTime from them. And that's uncomfortable to me because, again, I was out of town. I'm not shaved. I'm sitting around in the morning with a T-shirt and some shorts on. You know, I was doing some reporting and some writing and, and all of a sudden I'm getting a FaceTime and I'm like, okay, like trying to straighten myself up. And, you know, here, here comes Mario Cristobal. He's sitting at his desk. He's got a polo shirt on, University of Miami polo shirt. His desk looks like it's the Oval Office at Miami. Like it's just this huge scene. And I'm on the couch and I'm wearing a T-shirt. Friend of mine has this company called Space Monkey Designs. It's like he's got a space monkey. It's a monkey in a, like an astronaut helmet. And Mario Cristobal's first thing he says is, nice T-shirt. <laughs> and, and at that moment, I'm like, okay, I am not dressed for this meeting. You ever get a FaceTime from somebody and you're not ready for it? Oh, yeah, for sure. Uh, that's happened a few times. So when, when Leach FaceTimed you, was he in Key West? He was, yes. Yeah. He was in Key West. It was about 1130 at night, Pacific time. So, you know, we're talking, you know, 230 in the morning back there. Uh, off season. And he starts it by going, hey, Bubba. That's what he, that, that's his first, his first remark to me. But I literally was on the sofa watching TV with my wife and I suddenly had to get up and I got, I go, I got to leave the room. Mike Leach is messing. He's FaceTiming me. She's like, he's FaceTiming you. I'm like, I don't know, man. I thought it was like a, you know, butt dial, you know, at first. And then yep. it's just Leach wanting to say hello. I guess he was bored. It was during the pandemic and they had no games and off season and all that. Oh boy. That's spectacular. That just that image Leach sitting in his chair. He's probably like got a beer in hand. I think he had a cocktail. I think it was, I think it was more like whiskey in a glass. Yeah. You know, he's probably got flip-flops on. Uh, That's spectacular. That is spectacular. That would be a great image to to end the podcast on, but I think we we (laughs) want to talk a little bit about football here. Let's do it. What do you think? Uh, uh, To me, quarterbacks situations have got to be resolved by the end of this week, right? Just because they got to, they got to get the game planning mode. What, what is happening at Oregon? I think it's Bo Nix. Um, you know, it's interesting. Former Oregon offensive lineman Nick Cody, who played for Chip Kelly and Mark Helfrich, he went out to practice uh, about a week ago. And I asked him, I said, all right, tell me what you saw. Here's a guy who's played. And he says, I don't think it matters who plays quarterback. He says, I think their skill positions are better than the guys that we had, meaning the team that played for the national championship in, in 2011 against Auburn. And... And I don't think it's a big stretch. I mean, they weren't like deep or dynamic at those skill positions. It was more of a Chip Kelly offense. But he seemed to think that, you know, whoever was going to play quarterback was going to have a lot of fun throwing to the tight ends and the wide receivers. And they've got about five running backs that they really like. But I think Bo Nix and his experience, it gives him the edge. They're going to Georgia. Nix has played a whole bunch of SEC games. He hasn't embarrassed himself on the field. He's got that composure and that poise for that kind of stage. Um, I expect Nick's will be the starter. Um, I think Oregon's doing a lot of work right now to try to keep Ty Thompson feeling like, you know, he's right in there. And I think that's what coaches do in today's era. But I think Nick's gets the start against Georgia. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see what's Thompson going to do in those 48 hours after Nick's is named the starter. You know, that's that's the way of the world these days. You got to start recruiting your backup quarterback the moment he officially becomes a backup quarterback. And you can quickly lose a lot of depth at that position based on how you manage the the depth chart. It's crazy. I think Washington, you know, I'm interested in Washington. I, my guess is Michael Penix is going to get 
name the starter, but they're playing it coy. Colorado with Brendan Lewis probably is the other one, but most of them have been resolved at this point, right? ASU just named Emory Jones, uh, you know, Washington State, Cal, they got transfers that we, we know who's going to start there. So it seems like that piece of it is starting to, to find, uh, you know, gain some clarity. And to me, that's going to be super interesting because I think the quarterback play last year was substandard and we are going to, you know, have to pay close attention to how those guys do, especially the transfers these first couple of weeks that are so critical to the whole conference. Yeah, I thought it was really interesting that, you know, the odds came out for which conference will have the Heisman Trophy winner. And it was the Big Ten up top. And then it was the Pac-12. I, that really surprised me, Wilner, that they were the second pick on the board and closely followed by the SEC and then the Big 12 but and the ACC. But I, I think it mostly had to do with Caleb Williams at USC and the hype there. I'm not buying it. And I know we've talked about this before off podcast, but I'm just not seeing it. I don't think USC's got the guys up front. I think though they would win a seven-on-seven seven league but I think Caleb Williams is going to struggle a little bit. And I think, you know, I'm looking at him like, you know, really seven starts in his career. Three of them came against ranked teams. One of them was Oregon in the bowl game. I'm going to throw that one out because I don't think Oregon was engaged with Mario Cristobal leaving and Thibodeau and some others not playing. Um, you know, I think he was so-so in games against ranked opponents last year. And I'm really interested to see what he does and interested to see if they can move piles. Yeah, it is important to remember that, right, the bar for a USC quarterback to be in contention for the Heisman is lower than it is for, you know, anybody except maybe Alabama or Ohio State quarterbacks just because of the history. Um, and I wonder, I agree with you generally, like if I were, had to make a call, it would be, yeah, USC is probably Maybe there's a little too much hype. Uh, they've got some, some questions on the lines of scrimmage. But you could also turn that around and say the fact that they do have questions up front is going to just give Williams that many more opportunities to make plays. He's going to have to do it with his legs and his arm and to potentially put up crazy numbers, right? I mean, if, they're, if they can run the ball for 200, 250 yards a game, you know, then he's, he's not as uh, influential. But if they... You know, if the pocket is collapsing and they can't run the ball, then it's it's all about Caleb Williams. So he would have a greater opportunity, in fact, to to potentially contend for the Heisman. Yeah, I, I see that. And, and Kalen DeBoer at Washington, you you brought up the the other sort of unknown situation. I was reading his comments, looking for clues. Who's he leaning yep. towards? I think it's got to be Michael Penix Jr. But given his history with injuries. And given the fact that if you're Kalen DeBoer, you want to keep your backups engaged, you don't name that starter for a little bit. You wait until you got game week uh, upon you to to do that. So I think it's just going to be really, uh, really interesting to see. I, I think Washington's got a chance to be a little sneaky. I think, you know, given that they don't play USC and Utah in the regular season, softer schedule, um, I don't think they were as bad as they were on the field last year. No. I think their their components were better than their record. Yep. I rewatched the Oregon State Washington game while on vacation. Okay, it was a slow oh, it was a slow evening. Okay, I just put it on and I was you know kind of doing some other stuff and playing on replay on the Great Pac twelve networks. You know where they cut the commercials out and every play just runs runs runs. Uh, 
you know, Oregon State. Oh, yeah, 12 and 60. Yeah. That. Oh, it was great. It was great. Oregon State did a really nice job. They got a lot of medal. They're very resilient. But Washington could have easily won that game. And I think a better coached Washington team would have won that game. Oh, yeah. They were, what, four and eight? I mean, talent-wise, that team should have probably, even with the, you know, situation quarterback had injuries, you know, that should have been a six or seven win team. So artificially underperformed, you figure this is a bounce back situation for them. There's no doubt about it. All right. Make sure that you subscribe to this podcast. If you haven't made a commitment to us already, reach out, hit that button, subscribe, share it with your friends who would be interested in it and give us some feedback. Leave us a rating. That's how, that's how it helps other people find us. The algorithm on Apple podcasts and other places, it responds well when uh, you give feedback. So do that for us. We are, uh, Wilner, what's our plan here? Are we going to post multiple podcasts in a week? Is it as news dictates? Is it once a week? Have we figured that out yet? Well, I think this is a little, we're going to feel our way through it, but there is no doubt if there is news, especially news off the field news that impacts the Pac-12, we will be on it. No question about it. Appreciate everybody listening. Catch you next time.